0: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bone market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends, I was trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. A day like today, a day where the Dow dropped 81 points, s lost 0.10%, NASDAQ advanced 0.46%, thank you Apple, makes you feel like you should never get comfortable with the industrials, even the best of them, because they are precisely the companies that might end up being sacrificed on the altar of beating China. <sighs> That was the takeaway today, pretty much the opposite of yesterday. On Tuesday morning, we got word of back-channel talks between Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and the Chinese government. But then, after the market closed, we learned that the White House might be upping the stakes in the trade war. That, combined with the zero-sum nature of Apple's success as it romps toward the trillion-dollar market cap, defined today's mixed session. First, let's do some stipulating. While there are free traders in the Trump administration, including Chief Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, their free trade rhetoric does not extend to China. As things get more grim for the Chinese economy, which is exactly what's happening when you look at the data, you better believe the president wants to accelerate the process in order to force China to open up its markets. That's why Trump is weighing whether to increase the suggested tariffs from $200 billion worth of Chinese imports from 10 percent to 25 percent. Now, the president has two advisors, Mr. Outside, Robert Lighthouser. He's the U.S. trade representative. And Mr. Inside, Peter Navarro, his director of trade and industrial policy. And these guys are definitively not free traders. They believe that China has totally taken advantage of us. They see trade in zero-sum terms. There has to be a winner and a loser. Now, what would winning look like to them? Well, they want no more joint ventures with bogus Chinese companies that steal our technology and take half of our company's profits. No more targeting American industries like steel in order to create jobs in China by destroying jobs here. No more dumping either. These guys get a lot of flack for being protectionists. But when an American Express gets approved to do business in China, it shouldn't have to do it to the joint venture. When a Qualcomm tries to merge with NXP Semi, the Chinese government shouldn't block it on some sort of bogus monopoly theory. When our industrials want to do business in China, they shouldn't have to give away their trade secrets. Lighthouser and Navarro want China to operate like every other country we do business with. And despite all the hand-wringing about how tariffs destroy commerce, I think the stock market's been doing pretty darn well, so in part because of a budding perception that the Chinese have more to lose than we do. There's dissent among Chinese academics we just learned about, about the direction of the government's stance with our trade policies. There's a recognition that the decline in exports and the layoffs that come with them simply may not be tolerable. That's why the White House believes we can win this trade war. Now, it's possible they're misreading the Chinese government. Maybe they'd rather take the pain... Then be seen giving into the West. But there's reason to think that's not the case anymore, that the war's winnable. That's why it's really hard for the President to say, "You know what? we've got to start, we gotta start worrying about Boeing sales or caterpillars or three Ms." No, that's not his agenda. I joked this morning when we came up with Fang. Now maybe we need a Navarro basket, an ETF with a group of stocks that goes up or down on the truces and turmoils and slings and arrows of a trade war. You see the Chinese-oriented industrials rally off of Steve Mnuchin's constructive rhetoric. You buy a Navarro basket made up of Boeing's, Cummins, Honeywell, United Technologies, three and a bunch of others. Then before the boom gets lower on the Chinese, you sell, sell, sell. Sell, sell, sell. Or maybe you even short your Navarro basket. And then, now today's other big storyline, Apple, is also kind of a zero-sum game. When Apple does well, it's so powerful these days that unless you make components for their hardware or you've got an app in their app store, their stock may not benefit nearly as much as you'd expect. Even Apple suppliers can have a tough time because Apple has the bargaining power to, let's say, hurt if not crush their gross margins. In the trade war, Apple's a bit like Switzerland. It's a dominant company in so many markets because while it's only the third largest cell phone maker in the world, it owns the premium market, the most lucrative portion of the entire mosaic. Apple's been making a killing in greater China and putting up some fabulous numbers there for the quarter. But what really makes them immune to tariffs, I think, is employment. Apple suppliers and assemblers put hundreds of thousands of people to work in the People's Republic. If China were to slap a tariff on iPhone, They'd actually be cutting off their nose to spite their face. More important, in the stock market, Apple doesn't generate a lot of pin action. In the old days, people thought of it as a tech stock, but these days people are realizing more and more that with its incredible ecosystem, its fantastic brand loyalty, and, of course, that service revenue stream, Apple's more like a consumer product stock, razor, razor blade model. I just wish some major Wall Street house would transfer coverage from tech to consumer products so we could see how much cheaper Apple stock is versus some really good companies, but that are very expensive, Clorox, Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola. In short, what's good for Apple is good for... Apple. But what's bad for, say, Facebook is bad for a vast swath of tech stocks. Apple punches below its weight in terms of pin action. Facebook punches well above its weight. And right now it's punching hard. Makes sense. Facebook represents advertising, the cloud, privacy issues, and bad press. It's easy to extrapolate from Facebook. Apple, on the other hand, is kind of a sui generis situation. Hard to extrapolate from them. One other thought. This market gives you endless buying opportunities. We saw the banks get slaughtered when rates were going lower, right? Now rates are going higher again, and the Fed signaled today they're going to keep rising. The banks are superb investments, very cheap stocks. Drug stocks got slammed off of some presidential criticism. But then their earnings came out, and they were so strong that the stocks were too cheap. Suddenly, they become beloved again. Today's hated group, the retailers. Many of them got crushed from rumors that business isn't that strong. I'm not buying that. I think the last three months are the least important months of the year for retail, and I do believe that back-to-school will be quite robust. That means you'll have a lot of places to win. I know there are concerns about the new tariffs. If they're put in place, won't they hurt the retailers? I'm not as worried as many others, because I see them moving private label apparel business out of the People's Republic for Manufacturing into other countries. I suggest you use this weakness to buy those stocks. Now, I know that the declines in the industrials are more stark and vicious than the rallies. And that creates a level of fear that can shatter confidence. All I can say is that you shouldn't own these industrials unless you think that we're going to win the trade war relatively soon. I think we will, as long as people remember that winning doesn't necessarily mean that China has to lose. I think it just means that, that we get to win as much as they do. The bottom line, if you can't deal with the volatility, if you can't use the panic attacks to... Bye bye bye! Google index funds, will ya? Because the moves will only be exacerbated until the Chinese blink. And then you'll catch a move that could be extraordinarily bullish. But until that happens, the forecast remains delicious pleasure followed by maximum pain. Now where is that Navarro ETF when we need it? Let's go to Bruce in Texas. Bruce!
2: Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Bruce, what's up? Well, my question to you is about Alcoa. I've been following it over the last few years, and I've been particularly interested in the contracts that they've obtained, Ford, NASA, Boeing, and uh, feel that that's very supportive to their bottom line. And my question to you is with the tariffs that have come out, it seems that price action has actually reacted negatively.
0: Well, let, let's so remember my, that, you know, there's Arconic. Is, that is the, Arconic is, is the one that it, it provides the, uh, uh, a lot of these products. I mean, Arconic makes uh, the uh, parts of the engines for the airplanes. It's, it's Alcoa is the raw Alcoa ma- uh, aluminum maker, and they're not doing that well. That last quarter was not a strong one. What have they been hurt by? Tariffs. Stewart, New York. Stewart, Jimmy. How you doing? Is Could, it hot enough for you? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, oh, yeah, I'm, I got, yeah. I
2: got a good speculative buy on Chesapeake Energy. They're reducing their debt holding on to cash, and it looks like oil is bottomed out. So I want to get your opinion.
0: You know what? They sold their Utica properties. We actually did our show from the Utica properties when the late Aubrey McClendon was alive, and they sold them for, I thought, next to nothing. I wasn't happy with how much they got, and I didn't think it really helped their debt. Plus, natural gas prices refused to lift because we keep finding. You know, we flare more natural gas than we use. So I'm going to have to say ixnay on the Chesapeake, and it actually just had a nice move up, and I would do some Sell, 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 sell. Fred sell. And, and Fred.
1: Hi, Jim. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Same. My question is about a Biomed, ABMD, which manufactures a heart support pump. Right. The stock has had a phenomenal growth. In year-to-date alone, the stock prices rose about 235% to a peak of 450 in June. Just prior to reporting earnings on July 26th, the stock was at 430 From what I could determine, most of that report was very good. And yet the stock plummeted in just four days to 355, down about 17%.
0: Well, look, Fred, I agree with you. I mean, look, these stocks are highly emotional stocks. We've seen this with Edwards Life Sciences a lot, and Edwards has come back. And I think, AB, I think ABMD is a very good company, and it'll come back. Look at Dexcom. Remember when that was just crushed and then reported after the close, it was terrific? Medical device stocks are inherently volatile. I think you've got to go one. If you can't handle the heat, well, then just go hold index fund because these wild moves are going to keep coming until China blinks, if they blink. Oh, man, Money tonight, there are two legendary names that both reported yesterday, but they couldn't be further apart. I'm comparing PG and Apple. Then don't feel like moving from the couch? You don't have to. I'll tell you I'll staying in the familiar comfort of your home can make us some money. And the grass might not seem greener today for Agco shareholders with the stock in the red after earnings. But could the company still fertilize portfolios over the long run? Why don't you stick with Kramer?
2: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Cramer, hashtag madtweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists
0: in the far corners of the universe. If your grandfather hadn't worn it, you wouldn't exist. That's the inscription on the back of my Old Spice deodorant bottle. And every time I read it, I smile because, indeed, my grandfather used Old Spice. And truly, in the mindset of my era, that's exactly why I buy it. I stayed loyal to it from the days when I first needed to wear deodorant, or at least when I first realized I needed to wear deodorant. Will I ever switch? No, no more than I would ever switch from the Apple ecosystem to some who cares handset company. But Apple gets a heck of a lot more out of that brand loyalty than Procter & Gamble, the parent of Old Spice, does. Yesterday, Procter & Gamble reported in the morning and Apple reported in the evening, and they couldn't have been more different. If there was a theme running through the Procter conference call, it's that people around the world change their behaviors and preferences rapidly, often based on price. Brand loyalty is a real challenge to keep, something they're going to put to the test now with a 5% price e- hike on Bounty, Charmin, and Puffs, I think it's a risky, risky bet for one of the world's largest consumer products companies as nobody can guess if the price will stick or if competitors will even follow. Management acknowledges that raw costs have skyrocketed and they have to pass these price increases to their consumers or some think risk extinction. Maybe that's fine for tissues, but with important lucrative franchises like grooming already decreasing 3%, It's an open question whether Proctor can possibly get away with it for some of these products. Now let's consider Apple. It's got a 96% customer satisfaction rating on all of its products, a list that's quite prodigious these days, including a 98% satisfactory uh, level on the latest iPhones. Remember, those were supposed to flop, right? No one was ever going to buy a phone uh, with a pain in the butt facial recognition for $1,000. Totally wrong. Most popular ever. As CEO Tim Cook says, the customer sees the value proposition, seizes it. Or another way to look at it, the buyer's willing to pay the freight. Apple has a $9.5 billion service revenue stream growing this quarter at a 31%, 31% clip year over year, and not to mention 300 billion paid subscribers. When you have those customer satisfaction numbers, when you can pick up market share as easily as Apple can because of its reputation, then sure, You can get away with raising the average price of your phones from $606 to $724, as they did this quarter. Now, the most important number in the consumer products lexicon is organic growth. I like to think it's a sign of winning through innovation, adding new categories and product lines. Procter gave you a paltry 1% organic growth this quarter. Apple, now there are so many different growth measures, but all of them point to what I can only describe as a double-digit blend. And a consistent one at that, with accelerating revenue growth. It's not just new phone sales that get customers to lovingly embed themselves deeper and deeper into Apple's web. Tim Cook talked about how an Apple Watch may intrigue an Apple phone user, and vice versa. Procter & Gamble, it has no ecosystem anymore. Nobody links any of its myriad products with each other. I used to use Old Spice Body Wash until one day I checked off a box for bath wash from this Dollar Shave Club. And now it just keeps coming and coming and coming down so automatically and endlessly. One less item in the grocery bag, so I ditched Old Spice. They didn't even have that product in Grandpa's day, so it's no betrayal. Oh, and let's not bury the lead too far. I always used to use Gillette razors and blades, but I switched even though I do like them. Why did I do that? Because you know what? I hated chasing down a clerk to open the stupid plastic case they're hidden behind. I think Gillette will soon need to cut prices dramatically if it wants to maintain its share. Needless to say, Apple shouldn't have that problem. Let's get back to the Old Spice example. That grandfather inside jokey come online on the back of the Old Spice container. Do you think that means anything to the Gen Xers and Millennials? Brand loyalty, an oxymoronic term in the traditional packaged goods industry. While I'm slinging some truth at you, in the new world, where are people increasingly buying things online? You don't even see the other side of the bottle, the side where the most promising part of the old spice schnick lives. Even if they knew what their grandfathers used, it no longer means anything. Now, here's the punchline. Procter & Gamble stock sells for 17 times next year's earnings estimates. Apple, with a stock that I tell you to own, not trade. Sells for just 15 times next year's earnings estimates, and that's without backing out its massive cash short. How wrong is that? I don't know. You be the judge. Let's go to Bill in Georgia, please, Bill. Hey, booyah, Jim. How are you? I'm real good, Bill. How about you? Good. Hey, real quick, my quest, my question is on Newell Brands, uh, symbol NWL. As we know, Carl Icahn has taken a position in this company, and I believe he's actually gotten some board seats. My question is, do you believe that this company is on the right track? I know there's supposed to be a stock buyback, but I haven't really seen a big enough bump for that. I want okay. to know your remember opinion. Remember, Carl's in, but he's friendly. Uh, it's Michael Polk that runs the company. He's got a 3.5% yield. I think that they're going to get a breakout quarter, not this quarter, but next quarter. A lot of things have gone wrong, including raw costs, but I think those can turn. I am a believer that the stock is going to work here, but it is not going to work like that. Brand loyalty doesn't mean much anymore, and that's bad news for P&G. Apple, on the other hand, it's so embedded in your life that you pretty much have no choice but to stay loyal to that ecosystem. What's where Mad Money is? Pizza, video games, parking in your, on a couch. No, I'm not talking about your college years. I'm revisiting the stay-at-home economy tell you which stocks stand to benefit. Then, I'll clue you into some new ways to profit from the rise in popularity of chilling at home. It's a one-two punch. And Agco CEO has plenty to say to Donald
1: Trump the last time he joined us. I think right now we have people in Washington who don't listen. They don't read, they don't listen, and they have a, uh, maybe not the brightest background, I would say. Hmm. To so now see if his
0: message to Washington remains the same. So stick with Kramer. For the past couple of years, I've been obsessed. I've been beating you over the head with the idea of the stay-at-home economy, the idea that there's so much new technology that allows you to eat and order things and be entertained right from the comfort of your own couch. So how's the stay-at-home thesis holding up? A year ago I recommended a bunch of stocks as a play on this theme, and most of them have done incredibly well. The only real question is whether or not they can continue to be let's say be standouts, except for a couple of cases. So why don't we take a look? Let's begin with the food place. The companies that make it possible to spend the whole weekend without ever leaving the house. All right, we got a couple here. First, there is Domino's, okay, Domino's Pizza, which I spent years calling a technology company that just happens to be a pizzeria because their digital business is so good. And look, these guys have been clearly doing something right because the stock's been a gigantic winner. It was trading at 10 bucks when I first started recommending it a little over eight years ago. It was at $170 when I first called it a play on the stay-at-home economy in November 2016. Now it's at $270. That's right, $270. 10 to 270 with some special dividends. It's up nearly 60% in less than two years. Of course, Domino's has pulled back from its highs recently, as the company reported a less-than-perfect second quarter, and it's lost its longtime CEO, Patty Doyle. But you know what? I liked what I heard from the new CEO, Richard Allison, when he came on the show a couple of weeks ago. Plus, for the the better part of the decade, uh, buying Domino's in the dips has always been the right move. I don't think it'd be any different this time. Next up, well, there's Grubhub. Something we believed in when everyone else is like, oh, come on, that's a commodity delivery service. No way. The online ordering platform is a huge part of the stay-at-home economy. Because there's another aspect to this whole thing. It's not just about being able to eat or watch whatever you want without leaving home. It's also about never having to speak to another human being. I've seen this in action. Millennials hate talking on the phone. They hate talking. Grubhub lets you get delivery or takeout just by going to their app or their website. Now, one of the stocks has been on fire It was trading in the 40s when I spoke to the CEO in May of last year. Now it's at 125, effectively tripling in less than a year and a half. The most recent quarter here, it was was stunning. Setting the stock surging 23% last Wednesday. That's right, one day. Since then, though, the whole NASDAQ has sold off hard, including Grubhub, which is down a quick 16 bucks from its highs. I think it's a steal here. Grubhub's got nothing to do with the weakness of Facebook and Twitter, and we know for a fact that their business is on fire. Let me throw in two quick additional food plays, McCormick and Tyson Foods. McCormick is the big maker of spices and seasonings. Tyson's all about frozen beef, pork, and chicken. Basically, if you're planning to cook your own food, they're essential. After marking time for most of last year, McCormick's stock caught fire in the wake of the most recent quarter. I continue to be a huge fan. Skeptical, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to your local Walmart, like I'm about to do, or at least show you. Get this. You know what? You take a look at the walls of French's mustard, as well as Frank's hot sauce, but I wasn't obsessed about that when I took this picture in Louisiana. And the aisles are chock-a-block with their spices too. Wow, what a picture. Tells a thousand words, doesn't it? Tyson, on the other hand, has been a real dog lately. It's down 29% year to day. Ouch. Now, they had to deal with a host of issues from product recalls to trade woes. Best thing I can say about Tyson is that the stock is now third cheap, selling to nine nine times next year's earnings estimates. But it was a miserable conference call that I just got off of with them. And i got to tell you, there are easier ways to bargain hunt. I'm going to take a pass. Next component of the stay-at-home economy, video games. The rising popularity of games like esports has turned this into a huge market, as the technology behind video games just keeps getting better and better. Plus, you've now got a whole generation of adults who are practically raised by Nintendo. Which brings me to the big three publishers, Activision, Blizzard, Electronic Arts, and longtime Kramer fave, Take-Two Interactive. I've been recommending all three of these stocks for ages, but if we just look at how they've done over the past two years, the gain's pretty stunning. Take Two's up nearly 180%. Strauss Zelmick doing a great job there. Activision's up 82%. Bobby Kodak. Worst performers, EA, it's it's still rally 66% over the same period, though. Now, 2017 was a terrific year for these video game publishers. But 2018 has been, let's just say, choppy. The new year started strong, but then all three stocks sold off hard in March and early April. Why? Because people were worried about the rise of these free-to-play Battle Royale-style games. Fortnite, for instance. They've become incredibly popular. Do not get me wrong. Fortnite, well, it's huge. It's got 125 million active players. But when Activision, EA, and Take-Two reported May, they showed Wall Street that they're doing great and their bullishness translated into epic multi-month rally. However, in the last week, Take-Two, Activision, and EA have all seen their stocks get smashed. First EA reported last Thursday, and while the results were solid, the company's full-year sales and earnings guidance... Well below expectations. Since then, the stock has plunged from 146 to 127 it was It came in too hot to that quarter. It's dragged down the rest of the group with it. Plus, the big tech sell-off hasn't helped, nor is the news this Monday that a giant hedge fund manager has placed a massive short bet against Nintendo. Even when Activision's Overwatch eSports League had boffo numbers, it didn't make a difference. Much too much hot money had come their way. Where do I come down? Look, Take-Two and Activision both report tomorrow. I still like both companies a great deal. And I would view any additional weakness as a buying opportunity unless either company says something incredibly negative that changes the equation. Honestly, though, it's hard to imagine anything that could actually seriously derail the long term story here, especially for Take Two, which has some huge titles coming out later this year, like Red Dead Redemption 2, which my gaming friends tell me is going to be the best ever. Oh, and let's not forget about Logitech. That's the maker of all sorts of computer peripherals, including specialized keyboards and mice and headsets designed specifically for gaming. Logitech has been dragged down by this recent tech sell-off, uh, even though the company just reported really very strong quarter on Monday management raising their full-year revenue forecast. I think it's insane. I think Logitech doesn't care if the traditional video game publishers are losing market share to Fortnite. They win either way. Yesterday's pullback, a gift. Finally, last but certainly not least, we can't really talk about the stay-at-home renaissance without addressing the elephant in the room. I'm talking about Amazon. This stock was trading in the low 800s when I first rolled out the stay-at-home thesis in October 2016. Now it's trading in the 1700s, almost to the 1800s. Amazon is a juggernaut. While other parts of FANG may be faltering, Amazon and Alphabet remain on fire, with Amazon gaining more than 53% year-to-date. This company is the ultimate disruptor in retail. Prime is one of the greatest bargains in history, and it gives them a nice recurring revenue stream. And, of course, Amazon Web Services is the pl- biggest player in the cloud. It's red hot. The latest quarter here was the thing of beauty. I've long told you that Amazon could turn on the spigot and make itself much more profitable whenever it wants. That gigantic earnings beat more than $5 per share when the analysts were only looking for 2 dollars Well, that proves it. We own Amazon for the Chapel Trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. I think any pullback, buy it. Bottom line, the stay-at-home thesis stands. Most of these stocks have given you tremendous gains, and many of them are still worth owning. Stay tuned after the break. And I'll tell you about some new stay-at-home plays. Let's go to Mark in Florida. Mark. Jim, how are you? Real good, Mark. How about you?
1: Good. Quick question for
2: you. In regards to the Campbell Soup Company with the potential acquisition of Campbell's by either Kraft Heinz or General Mills, would you consider Campbell a buy or a sell? at this? I never recommend
0: line. stocks on a takeover basis on the show. I recommend on the fundamentals. Why is that? Because there is no takeover. over. That stock is definitely going to go lower. So let's just say I am not on board with Campbell's. I do like PepsiCo on earnings basis. Let's go to Tony in South Carolina. Tony.
2: Hi, Jim. Thank you. This is Tony. Just want to ask
1: about Shopify. They just had their earnings report, and they basically beat everything by 50 to 60 plus percent. Now, today, they're sitting around 20% down. Why is that, and where do you see the stock going? Because I can see 200 at the end of you.
0: Look, I I, look, I don't know about 200, but I thought the core was actually good. I think there are a lot of people gunning for the stock, saying nasty things about it that just aren't true. Now, that said, as much as I think Shopify is okay, you know that I've been a huge Etsy fan, and that's been the one to own other than Amazon. Calling all couch potatoes! Most of these stocks have given you huge gains and are still worth owning as a play on the stay-at-home economy. Much more mad money ahead, including some other ideas about how to ride the stay-at-home wave. Then my sit-down with the CEO of Agco. Here's what he had to say about trade tensions the
1: last time he joined us. It's uh, stupid to believe that uh, with this kind of protectionism you can achieve anything. How does you feel about the tariffs now? And of course, all your calls rapid fire
0: in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. Before the break, I caught you up to speed with the performance of the stay-at-home economy names. And for the most part, they've been working very, very well. But this is a huge theme. The idea that people, especially younger people, prefer to stay at home, staring at multiple screens rather than going out, it's here to stay. The thing is, given how much many of the original stay-at-home stocks have run, I want to find you some new ways to play this incredible long-term secular growth story. So let's go to work. First off, there's food. If you never go outside, you'll still... (laughs) Need to eat. As I told you earlier, I still like Grubhub and McCormick, and I'm cautiously optimistic about Domino's here. Tyson Foods hasn't been working. So, how about we replace it with a different packaged food play? Something like Cag, That's ConAgra, uh, which uh, I've been recommending for a few months thanks to the strength of its frozen foods division. ConAgra is a classic stay-at-home play. You stockpile their food so that you can heat it up and make it for yourself in front of the TV or the computer rather than going to a restaurant. What makes the stock attractive here? While the packaged food stocks have mostly fallen out of favor on the Wall Street fashion show, I'm a big fan of ConAgra's recently announced acquisition of Pinnacle Foods. Pinnacle's bird's eye brand will give them even more exposure to the frozen food aisle. Loved by Chinese millennials. In this business, scale is everything. The deal makes them the second largest player in Frozen after Nestle. And I think they'll be able to negotiate much better terms with the supermarkets going forward. At the same time, they'll they'll be able to get more control over the transportation labor costs that have bedeviled, bedeviled the industry. Now, the market did not react favorably to this transaction. Many people felt that ConAgra is paying too much. I think the superb management team at ConAgra totally gets it. Plus, shown Connolly a terrific track record when it comes to integrating newly acquired properties and also, by the way, divesting them. The pinnacle deal turns ConAgra into a growth food stock, and that's a real rarity. The darn thing is still pretty cheap. Think of it as a play on the freezer aisle, which is integral to the stay-at-home economy. How about entertainment? A huge part of this thesis is that these days, people have so many options on TV and on their computers, they just sit on the couch. and It's become a much more attractive proposition. Obviously, Netflix has been a real game changer because they realized before anyone else that people just want to binge watch their favorite programs at home. And they've given us some fantastic shows to binge on. Why go out when you can spend a dozen hours watching the latest season of Luke Cage? I mean, you know, right? Or how about Falda? Have you seen that one? Now, granted, Netflix has really gotten slammed over the last few weeks. The last quarter was a major disappointment to a lot of people. The company missed its own subscriber forecast by more than a million users. But since then, the stock has come down roughly 20% from its highs. Even with that decline, though, let's not forget that Netflix stock is still up 76% year-to-date. stock remains expensive here. The most expensive of all of FANG. This is a big but, but I have to say, I think that in one, two, three years, well, Netflix is still going to be a core component of what people watch. It's not going anywhere. It's still taking over the world. The value proposition of the N in our own Fang acronym is still incredible. Long term, I think the stock is still headed higher. And when you look back at this 20% pullback, you'll be probably kicking yourself if you didn't use the weakness to do some buying. Just be careful to buy it gingerly, gradually on the way down as a wild trader. Next day at home entertainment play? Well, here's one I haven't talked about in ages because of all this merger and acquisition stuff. Disney. For years, this media titan has been held back by declining subs at ESPN. That's right. They've been losing some subscribers in what was once the crown jewel. Stock has basically done nothing since 2015. As nothing he did seem to trump that narrative of ESPN. So this year... Disney changed the entire conversation around its stock with the potential acquisition of 21st Century Fox's entertainment assets. After winning a bidding war with Comcast, parent company of the network here, Disney's getting some incredible properties if they can close on this deal. Uh, They're going to be in a fabulous position to either license their content to streaming video providers on very favorable terms or to launch their own streaming platform, which is the idea they've been talking about lately. That's what they've done with sports. They launched an ESPN subscription streaming service. I think it's working. I like it. The best part, even with the recent run, Disney still sells for less than 15 times earnings. That's six year's earnings. This is a premium name, a premium company with premium management. Sells at 15 times earnings? That seems wrong to me. Who else wins from the stay-at-home economy? Here's one that I keep championing. I'm waiting for others to get behind. It's called Spotify. This company is the king of music streaming. They've got a powerful subscription based business model, and I adore the management team. They are brilliant. These guys are also so non promotional, they didn't even do an IPO. They brought Spotify public through a weird listing process designed to help their existing shareholders to take profits. I started recommending a stock at 145, now it's at 180. Last week, though, it was trading as high as 199, since pulled back hard. What's happened here? Well, the stock rallied like crazy last Thursday after reporting a complicated quarter. Spotify's headline numbers weren't that great, but the user growth was phenomenal, with premium subscribers up 40% to 83 million. stock caught fire. But then the big tech sell-off crushed Spotify, and it's now trading 8 bucks below where it was before it reported those amazing user numbers. I think that's crazy. This pullback is a gift, and I think the stock is a buy right here. Now, let me give you a very small, very speculative name that fits right in with the stay-at-home thesis, and it's one, by the way, that a viewer brought to me, and I did the work, and here we go. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Turtle Beach. Yeah, that's here, H-E-A-R, for you home gamers. These guys make extremely high-end headphones and headsets, which have become incredibly popular with the gaming community. The numbers here have been stunning, which is what's allowed the stock to rally more than 1,400% year-to-date. 1400 The analysts are still scrambling to catch up. Again, Turtle Beach is incredibly speculative. You should only buy a stock like this with money that you're prepared to lose. But that said, if you want something high risk, high reward, it is still worth considering. Hey, speaking of audio, be on the lookout for the Sonos IPO later this week. A lot of people are excited for this maker of home speaker systems with double-digit revenue growth, recent turn to profitability, kind of feels like Roku to me. We'll have to see where the deal actually prices. But if it comes at a reasonable price, well, let me just say Sonos could be a good addition to any stay-at-home portfolio. Finally, I want to give you one last tangential e-commerce play. Everyone knows about Amazon, but how about Prologis? This is a real estate investment trust that owns logistics and warehouse properties. Their number one customer? Amazon. When you order stuff online so you don't need to go to the store, the odds are good that your package went through a Prologis warehouse. In April, the company announced that it was buying another stock that we like very much, DCT Industrial Trust, for $8.4 billion, which will cement their leadership in the industry. Since then, though, the stock has barely budged. A lot of that is because the real estate investment trust had fallen out of favor. Interest rates are rising yet. But Prologis isn't the kind of REIT that people own purely for its 2.9% yield. As they've come on the show, they've told us it's a gross story, for heaven's sake. A gross story that's a fabulous play on e-commerce, and therefore I'd be a buyer. The bottom line, when you have a powerful long-term team, don't just sit on your winners. Think about who else could benefit from it and augment your hand. When it comes to stay-at-home economy, you might want to add any one of these. I like a lot. of I like ConAgra. How about Netflix down down huge? How about Disney still well off its high? Spotify down big from last week. Prologis your shopping list. Include one. Oh, and maybe even Turtle Beach, but only for pure, unadulterated, rank speculation. have Money's back. Yet it is time! It's time for the lightning camera! What is that? <laughs> <laughs> And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy. It's time for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Sal in Florida. Sal. Jim, how you doing? I've been watching your show for 15 years. 15 years. it's the years. Best show on TV. Thank you. So, Jim, I want to ask you about Dropbox. The earnings are coming up on the 9th. Did I take the position? No, I want you to buy ahead of the quarter. Actually, I'm quite surprised that the stock did really a round trip. I believe the business is quite robust there. Not as good as Spotify in terms of going from free to pay, but I think it's terrific down here, and I would do some. Bye, bye, bye. Let's go to Paul in Alabama. Paul.
2: Hey, Jim, this is Paul from uh, Alabama. Are All you familiar right. with
0: Max Linear? Why would you buy Max Linear if Texas System was just reported an unbelievable quarter? It's got that new old leadership but I think it's a better book of business. That's what you want to do. Let's go to Judy in California. Judy. Hi, Mr. Kramer. Judy, so nice how are you? to talk to you. Thank you. Say what's you, up?
2: Thank you for taking my call. I have a question on Terraform Renewable Energy. I did purchase some for the growth and the dividend.
0: Yeah, I think it's okay. I think you're taking on a little too much risk. I don't want to be able to reach for yield and that's exactly what you're doing. If you want a seven percent yield, I would actually go with that Dominion. Uh, midstream because they just raised the yield, raised the dividend, and I think that therefore it's safer. Just about my cup of tea. Let's go to Josh in Nevada, please, Josh. Hey Jim, a big booyah to all your staff. Ah, they're smart. They make me look good
1: Especially every night. Especially Kathy though, she's awesome for getting me on today, and she deserves a raise. I agree. But anyway. I wanted to uh, talk about AGNC uh, okay, and c today. You're going
0: to get an 11% yield, but the stock is going to do absolutely nothing. So you're sitting there taking that yield in, but you might be losing on your principal. That is not what I want. I don't. I want to get capital gains and I want an increase in distribution. Not just that distribution. I think that thing is, I've been railing against it and I continue to do so. I'm going to throw in Analyst, another one I don't like. Let's go to Wayne in Texas. Wayne. Booyah to you, Jim. How are you doing today? All right. How about you? I'm doing fantastic, buddy. Another day of paradise. There you go. Thinking the same.
2: Hey, uh, INT, World School Services.
0: Oh, I've I've looked at uh, that a million times, honestly. Honestly, Honestly, I've looked at it a million times. There's not a lot of growth there, and I think it's like a kooky little stock that doesn't have a lot of upside. How about we go to Primal in in Texas, Primal?
2: Hey, Jim. Hi, how are you? I'm a first-time caller. Okay.
1: Um, So, Jim, here's the stock that's kind of um, given me some ulcers over the last year. The name of the stock is um, Applied Optoelectronics, the ticker is A-A-O-I.
0: Fiber optic networks are so hard. I mean, geez, these are you taking your life in your hand stocks. I don't want to do this. There are so many high-quality companies that I don't need to do that for. I'm going to say please stay away from Applied. It really is just very hard. I mean, look, I don't even feel good about Juniper, finistar, none of these. I throw in the whole shooting match. Let's go to Jack in a while, please, Jack. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Jimmy. Of course. Hey, I'm right in the middle, thinking about uh, adding a couple good
1: dividends to my holdings, and I'm right in the middle of your book, Getting Back to Even. What do you still think about Pitney Bowes Incorporated, PBI? No,
0: no, you're looking for yield there. And I got to tell you, I I think that distribution, that's a total red flag. And that company has done quite poorly. And I do not think that you should be in there for that dividend when I'm very worried about the actual principal. I think you could get very hurt. Let's go to Justin in Maryland, please. Justin. Jim, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. I'm a sure, white Knight, huge fan. Two quick questions. What do you think about Vodafone, VOD, and I know you're a huge football fan. How are my Baltimore Ravens
1: going to do this year?
0: Oh, Baltimore Ravens, they're much easier. They're not going to do well. There you go. Here's some old day. Um, I do think the Vodafone, I frankly, I don't understand why Vodafone is doing as poorly as it is, but when I see that yield, again, I say red flag. I got a lot of red flag yields tonight. Remember, we do want yields that are good, but we don't want to outsize. That means there's too much risk. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. This company is confident their tractors are sexy. But will trade trauma stop their engines from roaring? Amid tariff turmoil, can Agco still make their heavy machinery Go.
0: get in any kind of trade dispute, our so-called trading partners love to go after American agriculture. And sure enough, that's exactly what China's been doing. If Trump wants to make life difficult for the Chinese government, they're going to do what they can to make life difficult for for Trump's voters, who only live in rural areas where farming is a huge part of the economy. So when the People's Republic drafts the retaliatory tariffs, it's the agricultural industry that gets hit the hardest, which is why President Trump had to revive a Great Depression-era program to bail out suffering farmers. So how bad is this disruption? Get a sense of the industry. I want to check in with Agco, the big maker of farm equipment, because while the stock's been punished of late, it's down almost 14 percent for the year. The company just reported better than expected quarter yesterday. Yep, Agco delivered a four cent earnings beat off from of buck twenty eight basis, higher than expected. Revenue up seventeen percent year over year. And you know the crazy part? North America was the strongest region, up twenty five percent year over year. So how worried should we really be about the impact of the trade war? And how is the farmer doing? Let's take a closer look with Martin Rishinagi, he's the chairman and CEO of Agco. Learn more about the company and the company's prospects. Mr. Rishinagi, welcome back to Bad Money. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Okay, so Martin, I am confused about something. Last time, I have to admit, you had some choice words about our president and what trade wars mean and tariffs. And yet, when I look at your quarter, sir, I think that America, North America, which is supposed to be hurt so bad, was a fabulous area of strength for you. So try to explain to me, please, why tariffs are bad if your business is so darn good with the farmers in this country.
1: Well, actually, I think farmers invested. And the main reason uh, most probably is that the farm equipment aged because they didn't buy so much during the last years. Plus, we also have uh, some very good brand new equipment. We just successfully launched our brand new big combine harvester called Ideal. And today we received the world leading design award, the Red Dot Award, which is of course very good for us. And this thing will sell next year, I promise you. All right, so Martin, uh, if President Trump gives relief
0: to farmers, I mean, really just, I'm talking about distributions from the uh, Treasury to the farmers, won't they go and buy agro equipment? Isn't that what farmers do when they suddenly receive a big check?
1: I think uh, hopefully that's what they do. So uh, we don't know exactly yet how that works. Uh, We are in contact with Sonny Perdue. You know that I know him from his time here in Georgia. We are headquartered in Atlanta, so we have a very good relationship. And what I, of course, would like to see is something they did in other countries in the world, like in Italy, Spain and France. They called it a scrapping law. So basically, they... Uh, subsidized uh, investments of farmers uh, under the uh, uh, assumption that the old equipment would go out of the country, which would be great for the environment, uh, less emission, uh, less fuel consumption and more modern technologies.
0: I want to ask you about raw costs. Uh, A lot of companies have been complaining that the cost of uh, steel has gone up aluminum. You're a huge buyer of steel. What's it meant to your bottom line?
1: Well, actually, that uh, is true. So that means our Uh, steel prices and aluminum prices went up substantially, uh, uh, but we price for it. So that means uh, we can't digest that. Uh, We have a very strong focus on margins, and we will basically come up with a program for the two years, uh, 2019 and 2020, to basically outperform the, the, the industry. And that, of course, you can't digest price increases for raw materials, so therefore you price for it. And finally. Farmers have to pay for it. All right. Is
0: there a a point in time where uh, I want to own the stock of Agco and not worry about South America? I mean, it always seems like one country is screwing it up. But at the same time, I guess the market's too big to ignore
1: I think that's the beauty of ECHO. We are so global that at the end, this does balance out. So you might have a bad year in one region, and then you have an excellent year in another region. So that means uh, South America, yes, they struggle right now. I see them coming back strong. So our order book is excellent. And what I think is now uh, China buys, or let's say will, and starts to buy beans from Brazil because of the... Uh, the problems here with, with the U.S. Uh, and on the other hand, then uh, it looks like as the uh, EU comes uh, to a deal with uh, with the U.S. and now starts to buy beans and corn from America. So that means things are shifting around. We prefer stability and continuity, mm-hmm. and we prefer free trade. But at the end, I think we can adjust to almost everything.
0: Well, I've got to tell you, I think you're much more optimistic than when you spoke last. But you also just, just put out a terrific quarter. Martin Rieschner, who's the co chairman, president and CEO. Great to talk to you, sir. Thank you so much. Well, stock is inexpensive. It's been exp- inexpensive and it's made you money. Mad Money's back in the break. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise you i find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer and I'll see you tomorrow.